Sorlin Roots podcast, journeying together into deep discipleship. I'm Brian Fisher. I'm Kyle Moody. And I'm Tim Boswell. Doc Boz is back in yes. the house. Back in the house. So awesome. good to have you. Love so it. for our listeners, Kyle and I are together every other episode. Mm-hmm. Doc lives <laughs> on the entire opposite end of the Metroplex. And so for him to get over here to do a live recording is a, you know, a Herculean a effort. Yeah. And we appreciate it. You it's got worth it. Four kids and a wife and a very busy life. So thanks for hauling all the way over here to be with us today. Thanks for having Thank me. You. Happy to be here. And he's wearing Soil and Roots swag. Yes. Representing. You looks can't great. see it, but just use your imagination. It That's looks great. fantastic. <laughs> Fair enough. This is episode 79, and we are greenhousing episode 78, which was on particularity. Particularity. Kyle's favorite word. Yeah, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. It's not a word we use that often, no. so you're you're in good shape. There. I assume. I mean, I'm sure Tim uses it all the time because right. he's English daily savant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See, I assume that both of you just use it all the time, and I was the only one that had never. I confessionally, I wasn't aware of the word till about three weeks ago. I read it in one of the sources that I consult for the podcast. I thought, oh, you know, that's a great way to describe intentionally noticing somebody, mm-hmm. and because it's a word that we don't normally use. I thought it just sort of shimmered a little bit. It resonated with me. So we're in this little section of the Forgotten Kingdom. We're in season four, and we're exploring the whole season is about uh, the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus's kingdom, what it means. And we're into the section now of this season about what is it, what are the qualities of someone who is living in Jesus's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And we could go to the fruits of the spirit and the um, gifts of the spirit and some other wonderful beatitudes, great lists, but. This is Southern Roots, so let's overly complicate things. Yes. And instead, we're looking underneath the surface a little bit, particularly at Jesus, about some of the things that we notice about him when we just sit back and observe him Mm -hmm. and how he operates and how he relates to people and how he, his intentionality. And so I, this is to me has been a ton of fun to put together because Mm -hmm. it's a little bit exploratory and I can't just go to you know, this book or that book or this podcast and say, oh, you know, here's some things. Like, I have to sit down and actually try to be with Jesus in Scripture and observe him mm-hmm. to try to figure out, you know, what he's what he's doing. So we've talked about courageous curiosity. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And now we have this big word, uh, particularity. And it means uh, intentionally noticing someone. And in the case of Jesus, he has this incredible ability to discern hearts and I was really convicted uh, when I when I wrote and put this episode together because when you when you know when you're reading through the Gospels and you see the way that Jesus is so intentional and skips the small talk and is so interested in the depth of people's hearts, you know, I thought, my my gosh, am I? How often am I this way? I mean, if I'm trying to become more like Jesus, am I? Am I this way with? even my closest friends, you know, my wife, Mm. my children, or am I so busy? Am I so preoccupied? Or do I not even think that the point of me interacting with you and others is to 
deepen our relationship at a heart level. So I'm just curious, you know, as you as you listened or read through the episode, first of all, okay, maybe particularity wasn't <laughs> a, a, a common word to you, but when we defined it, how did that, did it resonate with you? What were your f- first impressions, Kyle? Oh, you. absolutely. I mean, I, and I looked it up. I'm like, what does it mean? And it says the quality of being an individual, someone is seeking you out. Mm. And I think for me, it's interesting that you have such a different um, experience with this. For me, I, I think I'm, I'm very prone to doing this because I crave it so much from other people. That's interesting. I, yeah, we often give what we most desperately mm-hmm. need. Yeah. And so it's very, I, I'm very uh, inclined to listen to people. I want to know more about them because I so desperately want people to know me. And it's not because I don't do it just because I want them to know me, but I just know how amazing it feels when I can sit and talk to somebody and I know they're really listening, not just waiting for their time to talk. And so... But there's the there's the idea of intention. So it's not just listening, right? It's not just being oh, curious. No. It's actually somebody moving and looking at you and not just your your face or your not listening to your voice, but actually intentionally engaging your heart. Well, when I say listen, I mean listen to my heart. Oh yeah, okay. That's what I'm talking about. Because that's the kind of listening that I I just craved for all throughout my my entire life, uh, and I'm just now starting to get even from God. I'm starting to get that, mm. and I had never experienced that before. How about you, Tim? It's something that's very hard to fully embrace. I would say uh, because not so much on the end of wanting to know others, although sometimes my schedule and hectic lifestyle and and feeling that I need to constantly be checking things off the to-do list, constantly getting things done, can lead me to feel impatient or frustrated if someone is taking the time to open up with me or wants to take that time to really go beneath the surface, Um, but also to feel the confidence, I suppose, or the vulnerability to do the other side of it, which is being willing to share ourselves that openly. And that's Mm. That's something I'm learning and developing over time. Um, I'll give a quick example. Um, a week or so ago at church, a dear friend of mine uh, asked how I was doing, how how I was and how the family was. And I said, I'm good. We're great. How are you? And right after that, uh, we walked apart and I just felt convicted because we weren't doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there were some things that we were struggling with with the kids and uh, needed wisdom for as parents. And I started to just let it go. And I thought, no, he was sincerely asking. So I went and I stopped him and I said, mm. I just told you that we were fine, but that wasn't true. Um, wow. we've, we've had a hard week or two. We're struggling. And uh, he said, well, let's get lunch soon and we'll sit and talk about it. I said, okay, that sounds great. Mm. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go sit and I'll share with him what's been going on and he'll share advice and wisdom and I'm sure we'll pray and it will be a good thing. And that wouldn't have happened if I had not listen to that little voice that said, yeah. wait a minute, Tim, you're not okay. Um, that wasn't true. And so I think that's part of practicing this kind of intentionality and that kind of particularity is being willing to kind of retrain ourselves to not just give the pat answers and uh, to see beyond them when others give those and to, when needed, put in the time need necessary to go a little bit deeper. I just want to come back to the second sentence you just said in that it requires, requires, it, we want to develop the habit of even when somebody says they're fine, 
perhaps pressing into that a little bit. Like, I wonder if we're a little bit too easily satisfied in the social conventions. You, you see what I'm saying? I do. I, I think so. And oftentimes those scenarios are set up in a way that it's extraordinarily difficult to have those conversations. You know, mm. for instance, at church, there's, you know, we had a minute or two to talk. Right. We didn't have mm-hmm. a long extended time. I needed to go pick up my kids from kids' church and right. so forth. People needed, were ready to get to lunch. Uh, so I knew we didn't have time to dive into it there. Um, but we'll do that soon. So sometimes you need to say, even if even if I can't go deeper right now, let's make space for that. Can we create something? And that might be those deeper questions when we pick up on those cues that something is maybe not going well, but also being raw and vulnerable ourselves to be ready to say, you know, no, I, I need some help or I need some advice or I just need somebody to talk to. I think so many of us just need somebody to talk to at a deep level. What if it's a stranger? I mean, what if, you know, you've got somebody that comes up to you randomly and say, oh, I'm, I'm good. Are you really good? Because I, I, I don't think a lot of people would be willing to do that. Like if, if I'm meeting somebody at church for the first time and it's, how, oh, hey, how you doing? Well, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Are you really good? Because I just want to know, you know, because where do we go with that? I think it would be great. Some people would crave that. Be like, you know what? No, I, I'm not great. Or thank you for asking. Some yeah. people might be offended and be like, well, I don't know you. How, why can I be? I'm not going to be vulnerable with you. I think some people are great. I mean, you know, what I mean, like, it's not like every single person that we're going to come across is in the middle of a of a trial or a struggle. Wait, wait, wait. Not everybody's as broken as I am. That's <laughs> that's crazy. I no one is as broken. Oh, as okay. You are. Well, yeah, that's probably true. I'm going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> Here I am teasing Kyle again. I've been trying desperately to stop that. No, it's great. It's your love language. I accept it. <laughs> Sarcasm. <laughs> I was reading through John. Uh, that's the gospel that I'm working through this month. And there's, I'm going to butcher the phrase, but there's, he, John claims of Jesus that Jesus knows the hearts of all men. Mm-hmm. Just a powerful phrase. Mm. And he operates in a certain way because he knows the hearts of all people. So... When we talk about becoming more like Jesus, I, I tend to think that as we become deeper disciples, it is possible, if not expected, to be able to develop a, a deeper spiritual intuition mm-hmm. about people's hearts. Yeah. And so maybe that's a good friend at church, or maybe that's a stranger, but I just wouldn't be surprised if the Spirit prompts us or mm-hmm. nudges us. That doesn't mean the person's going to receive it or like it, or they may not yeah. want to engage in that sort of conversation but i think there is an intentionality to particularity there is a act of noticing such a powerful word noticing mm. you know i was i've been deeply struck by mother teresa's comment regarding the leprosy of loneliness that loneliness is the modern day plague mm. you know we talk about physical pandemics loneliness being the heart pandemic of our era mm-hmm. if we accept the fact that there are I don't know, untold number of people who are consciously or unconsciously isolated and lonely, especially post-pandemic, my mm. gosh. Oh, yeah. How important is it to be particular? Is it to single out the one and just to notice them? How many people are we passing on the street? How many people at church are we, are we coming across who are desperate just to be seen? Mm-hmm. And I've been mulling over it a lot because I'm studying loneliness as a topic for some other episodes. And it's, it's 
a cancer. It, it might be the raw cause of addiction, religiosity, physical abnormalities and maladies. The the heart. If if we accept Kurt Thompson's idea that everybody comes into the world longing to be known and longing to be known by somebody who is coming for them, mm-hmm. then how many hearts out there are just begging to have the question answered, is anybody coming for me? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about just you know the, the unfortunate homeless people on the street who have mm-hmm. these horrible relationship stories. I'm talking about in our churches. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about in our families. I'm talking about in our friends groups. How many people are desperate, consciously or unconsciously, Asking the question, is anybody coming? I think a lot of people really struggle with that too, because if they have chosen to open themselves up to somebody and if they've chosen to be vulnerable and that's been taken advantage of oh, yeah. or that has been ignored or not cared for, then they're like, well, forget it. See, this is what happens when I'm vulnerable. Because the thing that came across to me with particularity is I think it takes an enormous amount of courage because it's messy. When you're particular with somebody or when you're acting in this way, it's not all surface level. It's not neat. It's not easy. So you're going to get some stuff coming up from somebody else and even from yourself. And you've got to be like willing to engage in that. Cause it's not a five minute conversation. It's not something that can be really like, you can just throw a little pat answer at somebody. It's well, I'm really struggling with this. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. Or how does that make you feel? And I, you know, just getting into the mess of that, I think takes an enormous amount of courage. It absolutely takes a huge amount of courage, and I think it dovetails well with the curi- courageous curiosity that mm-hmm. um, was talked about uh, on the previous episodes, because you have to be able to both ask those questions, but also be willing to have them asked of yourself. And I, I would say it, it does take relationship and time to go beyond the most surface level, but our society and our culture is set up in such a way that even the barest interest and human contact can make a world of difference and can be so difficult to come by. Mm. I've found when I go out to eat, whenever we go to restaurants, what I typically do is I ask our server right before our food arrives or when it's put on the table, I'll say, we're about to pray over our meal. Is there anything that we can pray about for you or your Mm -hmm, family? mm -hmm. And I have been shocked at the things that the servers have revealed about what's going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, one will say, oh, I'm good. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. But almost always, they will say, oh, my wife just found out she has cancer. Mm -hmm. Or my daughter was hit by a drunk driver last week. Or actually, I'm having to work double shifts. I'm trying not to get evicted from my apartment on and on and on and on. And the vulnerability has just startled me again and again and again. It's like no one has actually asked them and having the opportunity to just tell someone, even a perfect stranger, Mm. here's what's going on. Will you pray for me is just remarkable. And then we'll 
pray for them there, and frequently they'll stay at the table and pray with us. Yeah. And then we'll say three or four times before we leave, that was really powerful. Thank you so much for asking. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that was a 10-second question mm-hmm. and a 30-second prayer. And I don't mean that that should be the extent of the kind of particularity that we do, but our culture is so starved for human interaction and for a chance to have someone show that they genuinely care even enough just to ask mm-hmm. that I think even small amounts can have profound implications. Have you ever had somebody go look at you like you've come out of Mars and go, uh, no, I don't want you to pray for me. I would think that I would have, and maybe it will happen, but it never has. See, and I, cause I was just thinking I've done that too. Like driving people around. I, I, and I've said, can I pray for you? I've never had anybody tell me, uh, no, don't do that. That's weird. And I think a lot of people growing up, I mean, I, I never had that. I never had that kind of courage to walk into a restaurant and say, can I just, can I pray for you? I would never have done that because I'd be afraid that they would look at me weird or I would misrepresent God somehow, or I would say it the wrong way. And here's my one instance, you know, like we're talking about, we have this one little window to try to grab somebody. And if you screw that up, then, well, you've, you've now taken away this person's salvation, which is such a crazy thought. But I, I wrestled with that kind of stuff. A lot of it comes down to courage. And I love that you guys are doing that. And what a great model for your kids and even people around you that are sitting in the, at the tables going, oh my gosh, I can't what, believe they did the, that. I'm, I'm struggling with the courage piece. I don't disagree. I'm just trying, like, what's the risk? Well, what would be the, let's take out of the restaurant, let's just talk about a friendship. Mm-hmm. Somebody that we're already in relationship with, or maybe a family member, if we notice them, if we want to pursue that for their own goodness, what's the, what, what requires courage? What's the fear? The fear of the unknown. For me, I'm just speaking for me, that my fear was always what if. It was never based on something that I had experienced. It was always, well, I would get in my mind and tell myself, don't do this because this could happen. And if this does happen, you don't want to deal with that. When we look at Jesus's life, he pokes a lot of hearts mm-hmm. and some people get really mad mm-hmm. like, and they want to kill him. So the process of particularity, of intentionally noticing and gently, winsomely asking hey, how can I pray for you? Mm -hmm. Or Jesus was rejected routinely in the process of doing that. So are we, you know, is it more about we fear the rejection? Oh, yeah. Because we, we were not secure in our, in who we are in Christ. I mean, that's, I guess that's my sort of another question underneath the question. And Kyle, I resonate with what you said as far as what if I, what if I mess this up? Mm -hmm. What if I'm, what if God wants me to do this and I don't do it right? right? And so I worry not just about rejection from the people that I'm trying to have this deep conversation with, but that inner fear that someday I'll, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but I'll be before the throne and God will be, you know, flipping through his notes. <laughs> the, the video and, player is going to be going. Yeah, it says, okay, yeah, you did pretty good. You had that mission trip. You built the house in Mexico. Oh, yeah, nice job, nice job. Okay, this looks Oh, wait, then there's that time I prompted you to pray with that person. You said what? Oh, man, you blew it. Oh, that, right. was, that was terrible. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that gets to that heart issue of feeling that we have to perform, that our worth has something to do with how well we do right. in our mm-hmm. jobs as Christians, mm-hmm. um, which of course is not biblical and 
my head knows that it's not the way that it works, but it's right. an ongoing struggle to have the heart match that. Um, so for me, that's where some of the courage comes in as well, to stand firm on what we know to be true about why we are here and who is with us and who is inside of us, and not to let our human frailty uh, get in the way because we can know that it's not in our strength that we're doing any of this anyway, mm-hmm. and we're not going to be taken to task, um, certainly for attempting to right. <laughs> do what we've been right, exactly. called to do. Yeah, I think God's far more gentle and kind than that. Yes. I, 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 I want to go back to the loneliness question because, you know, I'm one person in one network. My perception is that loneliness is an epidemic mm-hmm. inside and outside the church. We fake it in a lot of churches and a lot of Christian communities. And I, you know, I found Jeremy Lineman's thoughts really provoking on this because he, he essentially claims that many people are lonely and don't know it. Mm-hmm. They're not consciously sitting around saying, gosh, you know, I really don't have people who are noticing me and pursuing me. They, it's the, the idea system in which they function is just like, well, this is, this is the way that it is. You know, in your lives, where, where do you fall in that? In your networks, in your own story, do you, do you have specific remembrances of intentionally being noticed and desired to be with and, and desired to be known by somebody apart from, you know, your spouse? Because Lineman's whole point is that this, this should be extending well beyond the family. It, this should be this should be Christianity 101 that we are particular mm-hmm. in our approach to people in general outside of our family. So outside of your families, do you have specific remembrances of somebody noticing you, desiring to know your heart solely because you're you? In the church, no. Wow. In theater, yes. Oh, that's fascinating. That's why I fell in love with theater. And knowing that you're in a room that's safe, that other people are doing this. They're taking these risks. I mean, that's the whole point. I, 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 when I first started getting into acting, it was all about the people, the best actors are the ones that take the biggest risks emotionally. And so when you can get out there and you just want the director to draw you back, you want, you can go way out and then that's great. Just let them draw you back. And that was the first time that I really felt like they really want to know me. Now, again, looking back on it, I'm not sure if they really wanted to know me as, as more as they were, you know, it was just, let's explore each other as artists and all of that stuff. But I'm not sure how, how attuned they were to my heart and wanting to know all of that stuff. But, but it was more experiential mm, than oh, your Christian oh, community experience. by far. Yeah. How about you, Doc? There have certainly been friends through my life, both in church and outside of church, that we've developed that kind of relationship mm. And it has um, been something based on that mutual kind of uh, deep respect and, and knowing. I would say that the greatest, strongest period of that was when I was young, when I was a kid or teenager. And uh, I can remember spending just hours and hours talking with friends. We'd be camping in the woods or whatever we might be doing and just talking about everything, about our plans for the future, about what we thought about God, about what we thought about the Bible or right and wrong or wars or politics or whatever might be going on because we had time for that. We didn't have jobs. We didn't have families. And so we could just, we could just talk. And some of those friends I'm still with friends with to this day. And I think it's because of the level of 
knowing and witness that we had at that time. Mm -hmm. And that's why many of us look back so fondly on our early years, those Mm -hmm. of us that have had healthy childhoods and adolescence, because we have the opportunity then to truly be known. And I think that's one of the major scourges of our modern time for our young people, for the generations coming up now, that feel so lonely and isolated and struggle with anxiety and depression and addictions because they are not being known and loved for who they are. Um, so I think it continues to be extraordinarily important you know, throughout our lives. You know, infants can fail to thrive and die just from lack of attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm reminded again of that Kurt Thompson quote about you know, coming into the world um, looking for somebody to know us and to know that the one who knows us will be there for us. That's not just once we're grown and conscious and can think about these things. That's from the moment of birth, I believe. We need that attention, mm-hmm. and it stays that way through our lives. And if we don't get it, then we start to wither. We fail to thrive. Mm. Yeah, the heart begins to break. Yeah, my experience has been, I think, skewed because I've been in so many leadership roles um, and I, you know, I don't begrudge those. They were, I, I have enjoyed those times, but I resonate with pastors and business leaders, uh, a lot. And I, my suspicion is that underneath all the acclaim and advice asking, there's a, there's this extraordinary amount of loneliness and isolation. Cause you know, where can they go to, to be known by somebody that doesn't want something from them? Uh, you know, remind Jesus complains of people asking him for signs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's delighted to give them uh, and miracles to folks who are humble and broken, um, but he's not as delighted when somebody just wants a magic show. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes those in leadership positions, consciously or unconsciously, you know, feel like they have to put on a magic show, and mm-hmm. and they're the they're the dispenser the knowledge dispenser, the affirmation dispenser, whatever. Um, and if they don't have people in their lives that are noticing them because they're expected to notice everybody else, uh, that I, I, there have been profound moments of isolation and loneliness in, in my career in positions of leadership, even though I'm surrounded by dozens and dozens of people. So where, where, who are the people noticing them and pursuing them for no other reason than, you know, for their goodness and not, not for something. Do you guys think that there is a stigma about loneliness within the church that you're not supposed to feel lonely because you have God? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think I have learned to kind of respect that there was a bazillion different churches and there's, there's all sorts of different communities. So, you know, I have relatives who are parts of churches that are amazing. They're deeply formative. Mm-hmm. They're highly community-oriented. They have deep friendships. I mean, they're really positive. You know, all three of us are sitting here, and all three of us, you know, have very specific ideas about church, and we have different experiences with church. Mm-hmm. In my case, um, gosh, it has just been such a frustration. I don't know if it's the area of the country. I don't know if it's the dominations that I've been part of, but I have found very little intentionality on behalf of the structure of the church to train, to cultivate a congregation that is intentionally noticing people. Do you think that anybody can truly practice 
particularity if they don't really know and love themselves? No, I don't. I was, where was I reading this week? I forget who it was, but they said we can only love others to the extent that we, we can love ourselves Mm -hmm. and we can only accept love. We can only give love to the extent that we can accept it for ourselves. Mm. So if we are not open to being noticed, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be extremely difficult for us to notice anybody else. Yeah. I said that pretty definitively. I probably shouldn't have, but I think in general, which, which raises all sorts of crazy questions. Mm-hmm. It yeah. does, because it's easy to wonder if anyone is going to care about your story, if yeah. anyone is going to still like you after they hear it, if anyone is going to be interested enough to stick with you to the end or still want to be around you after they know all the dirty secrets, after they know the ins and outs, your weaknesses and flaws and insecurities. And, you know, as we've talked about before, it's infinitely harder to give grace to oneself than it is to give that grace to others. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but uh, we're told to love our enemies and sometimes our greatest enemy is ourselves. And it can be extraordinarily difficult. But if we are to put on the mind of Christ, which, as you said, it's hard to wrap our heads around what that what that fully means. But part of that means not just seeing other people the way Christ sees them, but seeing ourselves the way Christ sees us. Mm-hmm. That's the challenge for me. You know, it can be incredibly difficult to then think about our relationship with Jesus and realize that he knows us mm-hmm. so deeply. Mm-hmm. He knows all the things that no one else has seen. He was mm-hmm. with us for our, our darkest moments, our most embarrassing times that we're so thankful no one else got on camera. But he was there, and he knows it, and he still loves us. Uh, he was there the night that I started down hiking, uh, a hiking path in the mountains into mountain lion territory <laughs> as the sun went down without a flashlight alone. Hmm. He was there when I came running back down that same path in the dark with glowing eyes around me, saying the Lord's Prayer again and again. I'm never going hiking with you. He was there. Yeah, why did when you? I, I, no. When I emerged into a very large patch of cactus again in the dark. <laughs> oh my gosh. This just he was there. Going. There's more, I feel. He was there when I crawled, oh, yeah. bleeding and exhausted, into the back row of the nighttime stargazing talk that a local park ranger was giving. And he what? was there when that park ranger very kindly did not judge me, but loaded me into a Jeep and drove me back down the mountain to my own campsite. He was there. Wow. What? Uh, oh, and, so many questions about this. How old were you when this happened? And he was. This was last week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank. It's been a couple of decades. But wow. in the time since, remarkably, God has trusted me with many big things, and uh, He still. I think He still likes me and uh, mm-hmm. holds uh, a measure of. I don't trust you to go fondness <laughs> for me. I do, Tim. Thank you, Kyle. You can lead me into the wilderness anytime. Thank you. I'll take a flashlight this time. <laughs> there, yeah. Let's um let's close on the topic of uh bowling alone. Mm. Such a good title. Such an interesting social observation. And the idea is for for those of you that may not have listened to the episode that the research has shown that more people are bowling but there's less and less bowling leagues, meaning more and more people are bowling alone. The whole idea of getting together once a week or once, you know, twice a week and just hanging out with your buddies and having a beer and bowling has given way to you know, bowling with one or two friends and not this sort of this 
community League, aspect. Right, yeah. And, you know, it's I find it haunting. Mm. And I find it haunting when I say, gosh, has this trickled into Christian communities? Arguably, the most particular people on the planet should be followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, we should be forming the bowling leagues. Mm-hmm. And you know we have church softball leagues, and those things are are wonderful. They're they're grand. But in the in the social context, post COVID, are Christians the one most noticing others and forming opportunities to notice others? Mm. I hope that we are, but it requires intense intentionality because the system that we are in, our society, our culture, our lifestyle, is predicated on ideas that are set directly against that, in opposition to the opportunity to know each other well. Um, you know, there's that quote by W. Edwards Deming. He says, every system is perfectly designed to get the result that it does. Mm-hmm. And our system that we live in, our culture, our lifestyle, is perfectly designed for the results that we're getting increased productivity, increased efficiency, but decreased interaction and increased loneliness. So if we want different results, we'll have to make some kind of change to the system that we're operating within. And that requires courage. That requires purposeful intentionality. Uh, And I think that it's, of course, harder post-COVID, but also just in our modern time with the vast number of people on the globe and the people that we interact with on a weekly and monthly basis and may never see again. Now, I can't recall if this is something you said recently on the podcast or if I just read, but you know, in Jesus's day, most people did not travel beyond 10 miles past where they were born. Mm-hmm. And so they, most villages were two or 300 people, even the big cities you're looking at, maybe 40,000, 50,000 people at most. And so many people would know maybe 300, 400 people in their lifetimes, maybe a couple of thousand um, it's estimated now that we meet 80,000 people in our lifetimes. Mm. Wow. Um, you know, the population now is over 8 billion. It's 32 times what it was in Jesus' day. So we have this global village, but we're all together alone. We're in this system where we can order our groceries to be put in the back of our car. We can buy our medicine through an online pharmacy. We can do a virtual visit. We don't even have to get into the car and drive to see the doctor. We can pay all of our bills online. We can go days without having actual contact with another human being. And if we do, it's fleeting and cursory. So our system is built to be as productive and efficient as it can, but this actively discourages the kind of curiosity and particularity that we've been talking about that should be the hallmarks both of the Christian church and of ourselves if we're going to be deep disciples. So we've got to swim against the flow. Mm. You know, I, I asked in the blog version of the episode, are systems the enemy of particularity? Um, I think certain systems can be. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess where my heart goes is how many people are asking, is anybody coming? Is anybody noticing? And you know, if we are, if we are living lives of quiet desperation and not really conscious of it and not attuned to our own hearts, then, you know, that plague, that plague of loneliness, it could be at the root of so many of the ills and the maladies in which we, we find ourselves. And again, Jesus is the, the paradigm for how that gets unwound. You think of all the lonely people that he touched and that he noticed. 
and whose lives were revolutionized by anybody just paying attention to them and not, not socially, not just social interaction, not, you know, shaking hands after church, but noticing them, mm-hmm. noticing their hearts. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a habit worth cultivating. I, I certainly need to cultivate it, you know, in my own life. Well, and there's freedom in that too. I mean, I think that as we're talking about this and, you know, really wondering if there's anybody that really knows me, is there anybody coming? Does anybody care? And the fact that Jesus does know us intimately, even though we may not say anything to him, we may not open up to him, we may not engage in that, he knows us intimately. And so the fact of, or the practice of sharing that with him and voluntarily giving him that information builds that relationship with him because he knows everything already. But there's something so powerful about engaging with him in those deep and dark thoughts because, and then once you do that, it's like anything else. Once you've done it and you know that he's going to reciprocate in a way that is loving and encouraging and caring, then it, it encourages you to do it more often. And you engage in that kind of conversation with him. And I'm speaking from my own life is when I can let down my guard and I, I'm, and I have real raw conversations with Jesus about things that I'm struggling with or things that are dark or things that are uh, make my skin crawl a little bit. When I can have that with him and I know that he's not wagging his finger at me, he's not like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're thinking. He knows it already. So there's a healing there and there's a freedom there in knowing that I can give this to him and I can enter into this with him. And it. How, how do you reconcile that though with the fact that he's not physically here? So, I mean, because God normally works through people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the vast majority of the time, he works through other human beings. Mm-hmm. He certainly knows that we struggle to relate to a spirit, or we, we struggle to relate to Jesus who's not on the planet. Mm-hmm. So, if God primarily works through other people, not that our prayer times or our times with you know directly with Jesus aren't important, but they can't, they don't touch your hand, you can't see into Jesus's eyes. That that happens through him. That happens through other. It happens with him through other people. Yes, but I have experienced his presence in without that. Obviously, sure. there's not a. But I, and and it's been so powerful that I had to just stop the car and just cry because yeah. I felt yeah. at times him yeah. Yeah. in. I just I knew that what had just happened was him speaking to me in a very very individualistic, very particular way that he knew would reach my heart. And I just, I had to stop and it just, but, that, but that's not normative though, is it? What I think what I'm stressing is the power of community. Sure. In yes. particularity. Certainly we have, I'm not debating our intimate relationship directly with Jesus. However, mm. he does seem to work most of the time relationally through others. Yes. And I think that it works together with that. When you have that intimacy with Jesus, then it makes relationship. And I'm looking at the two of you right now. My relationship with the two of you is so much more intimate and deep because I have that intimacy with Jesus that I can trust you guys. And once I've let myself open up like that, then I'm going to open myself up to y'all and I'm going to receive that from you. And I can enter into brotherhood with the two of you in a way that I never would have been able to experience before. And he opened that up for me. And yes, he absolutely that it works so much more in community, but I think you have to be willing to do it with him in order to get the fullness of the people that he's put around you. But what if he's using others to, to get that out? Him? Sure. Absolutely. Goes both ways. Absolutely. Okay. I buy it. Absolutely. Hey, great episode, guys. 
Good to be with you. Tim, thanks so much for coming all the way over here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Say hi to your wife and thank awesome. her for allowing us to steal a few hours your of your busy brand stay. new baby. Yes, I will. Yeah. This has been the Soil and Roots podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. If you want more information on Soil and Roots, the ministry, you can check us out at soilandroots.org. We have the podcast. We have the blog. We help form and support greenhouses, mm-hmm. which are communities that embody particularity, mm. places where we do notice one another. And we do pursue one another in love for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus in a group. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, if it's meaningful to you, you can financially support Soil and Roots with your tax-deductible gift. You can give online at soilandroots.org as always. And you can reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at fish at soilandroots.org. And we'll see you next time.